This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinarian developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code SPOTIFY for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. That. How was it? Did your kids spoil you rotten? Did they make you any more poop jokes? Well, I'll tell you what. I did. I got toast, fresh toast made for myself. I got my Mother's Day gift was a four-pronged toaster or whatever, four-hole toaster, whatever they call it. Slots? Slots? Oh, so you can so, toast four slices of bread at once. Yep. There's, we're a family of four, so look what we got. And yeah, so I was saying that I really, when I was a kid, I really loved um, cinnamon sugar toast but oh yeah me too and you know i love my family but it, it was i mean whatever you can't expect a four-year-old to make good toast but yeah it was it was it was that and then i had to go sneak and eat normal food because it was like real gross but whatever i love everybody <laughs> it was really fun actually um because you know how we were we sort of like to start um by the way hi everyone this is rom crime if you have not listened to us before because i know we've been getting actually quite a few new listeners Welcome, welcome, That's new listeners. That's right. So, Av, what is our what's our deal? So, rom crime <laughs> is basically the two of us. We take a rom com. That's right. We pair it with a true crime. That's right. And we see if we uh, can impart any wisdom at the end, any lessons we've learned. That's right. And we have been starting, yeah, with has something rommy or something crimey exactly happened to you since the last time we recorded. And I I'm, have a crime. You do well. So do I. My crime actually has to do with Mother's Day. Can I tell you about it? Oh, yes, please do. Because we're on the Mother's Day topic. Um, well, you know, it should be a crime to have to solo parent on Mother's Day. So that yes, is, it that's one thing. And I have two children. I have a four-year-old and an eight-year-old. And at the end of this long day, and granted, I understand he, my son was very tired um, trying to get him in jammies and all the things. It was a hard day and no fun for me. That's not true. Whatever. I have fun no matter what. But he said to me, Mom, I wish you weren't my mommy. And I was like, <gasps> really? I said, well, who would be your mom? Somebody else. Oh, okay. Mm-hmm. Okay. So he's four. On Mother's Day of all days? Yeah, on Mother's Day. I mean, obviously he doesn't know, but I was I just know. like, what an asshole. Like, kids can be such dicks. And, he, and I get it. Like, I mentally understand that, like, he was just tired and he's saying things to kind of get me going or or who knows what. But I did have to sit down and tell him, which I've had to do with the kids all the time, is like, do you know that I'm a person with feelings and I understand you're tired, but I also wanted to be like, you know, like the the dirty person inside of me is like, if you didn't have a mother, you wouldn't have a mother at all and I would be dead and I would try to scare him with that, but I didn't do that. I was a bigger person, but I was like, you are 
an asshole. That's all. That's all. That's so. That's my crime. It's not a real crime, but it's a crime against crime mothers against everywhere. Mothers. How about you? What was Ooh. your crime? You crimey or you romance? My my crimey situation. So I work at a, a nightclub, as that's I've mentioned right. a few times, and lately boop, boop. we all park. You know, like kind of there's a back entrance so it's not off the main street where the club entrance is and there's been like a string of break-ins we had somebody get a car stolen like a whole car stolen and then on friday night i was working i got cut at 1 a.m i left around like 110 and apparently like 20 minutes after i left my coworker who was parked right behind me somebody smashed the back window no. stole stuff out of his car so now we're all like we have to go park like a mile away from our job and walk oh so that's don't a steal from people yeah don't be jerks man like there's clearly something going on because it's it's one very specific little like strip of street but uh, people are are like casing that that joint i guess yeah I know. I always wonder, like, is it was it an old car that was actually stolen, like fully stolen, or was it, was it an older car? Because yeah. I feel like, can they steal the newer cars? I don't know. I'm just. I mean, I'm sure some some of them can be stolen. It might be more difficult, but I just was like, what is going on? I shouldn't have to feel like I need to run outside and make sure my car's okay every forty five minutes. That's you know? annoying. I know. When I used to live in Vancouver, BC. I had our car was broken into multiple times. We had to we had to fix that front, uh, the like the passenger door window. A oh, bunch okay. of times. Eventually, I just started leaving. It's cold and rainy there, but I would just start leaving it unlocked so people could take whatever change because there's a bunch of people who are right. You're like, just don't break the window. It's expensive. To I fix know. The I want to be like, please do what you need to do, but don't steal my car because I did have an old car. Anyways, well, welcome guys. Oh my gosh. Welcome crime. So today, I am inspired by. I don't actually know the whole story yet, but I told I told Vanya so. For new listeners, what we do sometimes is Vanya tells me the rom-com she wants to cover, and then it's my job to try to find a true crime story that I feel I can tie into the yes, the narrative. Uh, uh, we just tried for the first time me telling Vanya a crime, and then she had to pick a, a rom-com to pair with it, and we had me go first. So today, I actually picked the crime that inspired her movie pick, but we're still going to have her go first so that we're not yes. emotionally um, <laughs> having a rough time switching from crime to rom because we're I not know. crime rom, we're uh, rom crime. That's true. That's true. Exactly. Like, be our name. We are our name. So I'm very excited. We definitely would have found a way to cover this anyways. But today we are covering Miss Congeniality. Such from, a fun one. Such a fun one. I, I, from 2000? 2000. It came out. And as we have done quite a few times, as we look back on old movies from the 90s, 80s, and even early 2000s where it's like, ooh. Okay, now I love this movie. There's going to be some things that, I wish that didn't happen or the way they said things or I don't know the way. Okay, whatever. Watch the movie. It's available on Prime. You do have to rent it. I bought it because I thought, oh, I'm going to watch this more than once. I think I will. I think I will. Um, This is one of those ones, you know, like if you turn it on TBS or TNT and it's on, you just kind of are like, yep. Exactly. (laughs) So like the quick synopsis is... It's Sandra Bullock, guys, of course. I mean, I don't know. I think I said that, but I don't want to miss that because we love the Sandra Bullock. So here's a quick synopsis. Um, Undercover FBI agent Gracie Hart doesn't have – she's like not feminine at all. She's she's super bright, super capable. She's an agent, but she's also rough around the edges. She's like a – I don't – like she's strong. She's she's kind of more – She's raunchy. a woman in the FBI, so she's trying not to be too 
feminine. Exactly. Emergency official business, ma'am. Hey, 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 get lost. FBI, you might want to stay out of this, all right, sir? All right, I would like Jeez. eight double tall lattes, one with no foam. Special agent Gracie Hart is as tough as nails. She's got a lot of rage. <laughs> and she's completely unpolished. <laughs> Honey, hmm? are you a lesbian? Dad. I wish. <laughs> but when the FBI needs an undercover agent... The bombers picked another target. We have ourselves a national emergency. It's the Miss United States pageant. The only man for the job <laughs> is a woman. You do a few butt-shaping exercises, you tighten this up, you could pull this off. You know what? Pull this off. Let's go, girls. These people want to put one of their agents in the pageant. Do you have an agent in mind? <laughs> Sorry. She doesn't look the part. There's no way on earth that I can make this woman ready in two days. She's dirty Harriet. She doesn't act the part. Come on, have some midnight chow and some uh, girl talk. We can't have pizza and beer. It's light beer and she's gonna throw it up anyway. She doesn't want the part. I'm not gonna parade around in a swimsuit like some airhead bimbo. Describe your perfect date. I'd have to say April 25th. But she's about to prove anything is possible. I have gel in my hair. I haven't slept all night. I'm starved and I'm armed. Don't mess with me. Ooh, <laughs> I'm fine. This December. You're doing a great job. <laughs> you think I'm cool? Just you want to date me? Get ready. Guns! Guns! Everybody down! For the new face of the FBI. Of course he had a gun. This is Texas. Everybody has a gun. My florist has a gun. Miss Congeniality. What is the one thing our society needs? World peace. World peace. World peace. Harsher punishment for parole violators, Stan. And world peace. I think she's feminine enough. And I like this movie because I was like, oh, she's sporty and she, you know, she can fight and whatever. Anyways, so when a terrorist threatens to bomb the Miss United States pageant, the FBI rushes to find a female agent to go undercover as a contestant. But unfortunately, Gracie is the only one who can like kind of look the part. The only lady, the only other woman who could look the part is on maternity leave. So also we're learning here, FBI, maybe you should be hiring more female agents. Yeah, that was 2000. We're in 2022. So 22 later, years later, I wonder. She prides herself in being just one of the boys and is horrified at the idea of becoming a girly girl. But in the end of this movie, after fully infiltrating and becoming one of the contestants, she discovers that these women actually are very smart, trying to do good for the world, and kick-ass ladies. So and she likes them. She likes them. She's one over. Who's the actress that plays, like, the one who becomes her good friend? That is Heather Burns. She plays Cheryl. And who else is in this? Benjamin Bratt is the other FBI agent and her love interest. And mm-hmm. the famous line is like, you want to kiss me? You want to date me? Because in the beginning, he's like only dating younger hot ladies. And she's like, go have fun with that. And <laughs> there's a couple of the like typical, you know, cop movie tropes where it's like, 
you know, she gets in trouble. She accidentally, somebody gets shot. So she gets kicked off the thing. And, you know, eventually later on when she's going rogue and she find, she really believes it's it's Candace Bergman. Bergen, sorry, Kathy Morningside is plays like the leader of the of the pageant. Um, she believes that she's the bad guy, and the other people are like, "No, we already caught the bad guy." Ernie Hudson plays the lead FBI guy. Ah, but that's where you get that typical scene in one of those movies where he's like, "Give me your badge, you know, turn in your badge and your gun. You're off this case." And so, of course, she. Kids catches the bad guy in the end, but it's got so many funny and cute parts. And then in the end of the movie, she becomes, she gets nominated as Miss Congeniality. Do you want to know a fun fact? Yes, I do, always. So you may already know this. I'm sure a lot of people know this, but Miss Congeniality is not something that judges pick. It is, it is based on votes within all the women, all the contestants. So all the contestants vote. And so whoever has the most votes gets Miss Congeniality. Oh, cool. Yeah. So it's uh, it's like your your peer's favorite person. Kind of, yeah. Things I didn't like about this movie. The okay. ass slapping. There's like a lot of moments of him just Benjamin Bratt slapping her ass. I didn't love nope, that. Not cool, Benjamin Bratt. I li- I didn't love the... Uh, it was... What's his name? Kane. Michael Kane. Michael Kane plays Victor, who is like the stylist, I guess. He was one of the top stylists. He's the coach. Yeah, he's, he's her coach. coach, yeah. He's a gay character, but then Benjamin Bratt acts all homophobic. I don't like that. I could have done without nope. that. Don't but in the that. end, they do sort of, It was. it's a little funny, but there's a fun, like, char- one of the contestants comes out on national TV and she's like, I'm a lesbian, I love you, Sherry. And Sherry's like, I love you too. So there's like, they're not like completely homophobic, but I'm like, it's very early 2000s, early, like 1990s where... It's not as inclusive. Whatever. I know. I know. But it bothered me. Um, okay. Let's see. It sounds like maybe we just like slash Benjamin Bratt's character from the film and everything will be fine. Kind of true. And then, you know, she goes through because they really ug her up because for some reason people think they can ug up <laughs> Sandra Bullock, who is a stunning woman. But when she does her her big um, reveal of going through. Makeover. Makeover. Yeah. Thank you. Which I, I love a makeover scene. You know, it's kind of like all the guys are like, ooh, I'm just like, go fuck yourself. It makes me, I don't know. It's fine. <laughs> I like her contestant name. So she's Gracie Hart, but then when she's Miss, is she Miss New Jersey? Yeah, she's Miss New Jersey. She's Gracie Lou Freebush, yeah. <laughs> which I'm just like, that's what you guys gave her? Gracie yeah. Lou Freebush? That's right. Amazing. They come out to, they all walk out on stage to this song, One in a Million, and she like kills it. It's- One in a million. So good. I love it. (laughs) Later on, she teaches her fellow, as she's trying to figure out who this killer is, this terrorist that's threatening the pageant, she teaches some of the girls self-defense, which I kind of love. Yeah, isn't that her talent, too? Well, no, her her first talent is actually playing the wine glasses with water in them. Oh, that's right. (laughs) And then in the end, all the girls got thirsty, so her props are backstage. And so the girls drank the water out of the wine glasses. That sounds like sabotage, not thirst. Oh my God, that's good. (laughs) You're right. But yeah, so stupid. But anyway, so she came out on stage for the real show, not for the practice, brought Benjamin out Benjamin brought out and kicked his ass basically in front of the public, but gave gave some hints on how to kick some butt. And she was she called it something, but when I was little, we always called it knees, nose, nuts. So you kick them in the knees and you punch them and shove up their nose, and then you 
kick them in the nuts and you run. Knees, nose, nuts. That's easy to remember. The other fun thing is they have to learn all these dances and it's almost like poses to music. It's a whole show. It's been a while since I've seen one on TV, like a real pageant, but I have a confession. I'm not sure if I've confessed this on the show yet. Are you ready for this, Avrin? I'm, I'm, I'm ready. I'm nervous. What are you confessing? So when I was 18, it was 1997. Mm, do the math. Okay. So just three, just three years before <laughs> this movie came out. That's true. I did, I did the local pageant that was part of the Miss America, I guess, franchise or whatever. I learned that it's, a, I, I love a show. You know, I love a show. Uh, I, so I was really excited to do it. I was always, always been an actor, so my talent was actually singing. I sang on my own. And Amazing. Instead of wearing Very like, Dawson's Creek of you. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> and then, like most of the girls had been in pageants all their life. I never had done it before. But So instead of wearing like a sparkly dress going out and singing, because you could sing whatever you want and still look pretty, I dressed like a homeless French woman from the, you know, Amazing. From the World War, whatever this it was. This is why I love you. <laughs> and, I, and, I, and I really acted it out. I, I still have my microphone, but I pretended like I was seeing in the distance. It was, I need to see if my parents have any of those pictures or video. You know, it's long enough ago that. I need to see it doesn't if exist. there's video. <laughs> uh, so that's one thing. The other thing that I, you know, I've always been, I've, I move well. I'm a dancer that moves very well. I, can, I do gymnastics and I love to dance, but I'm not a trained dancer. Surprise, surprise, right? Right. We, I had to learn like 20 dances and we had the amount of costume changes you have. It's really intense. The whole thing. I didn't really know. And I will say the woman, I don't want to, I, who cares? I, I don't even know she, what she does anymore. She's probably listening to this podcast, I'm sure. But the woman who was the Candace Bergen character in my situation was similar. She was kind of an A. Oh, look oh. at me. Oh, I'm sorry. I'm being all dishy. You didn't even like name the pageant that you were in. That's so right. No one can be upset with you. No one knows what we're talking about. Except That's you. true. But so she was like, you know, the head honcho of the whole thing. And I think she didn't. I've always been sort of like a comedy person. I was I take things seriously, but I'm also a little ADHD. So I have a hard time focusing, whatever. But I have fun. And so she would always take me aside and sort of chew me out in like the nicest way of like, you need to start acting like this. You need to do this. You need that. And so, of course, there is the swimsuit portion of the section, yes. which I've always been. Well, let's see. I, I don't mind wearing a swimsuit. I I'm a, I was that kid who didn't want to ever wear a shirt, you know, because I, I was right. a late bloomer. But also, I didn't understand why if. My cousin didn't get to, didn't have to wear a shirt. Why did I have to wear a shirt? You know, I was one of those kids. So when it came to like zhuzhing up your body underneath your bathing suit, I was like, I'm just going to not put in like little pads in or anything. And the lady, this woman told me, she's like, you have to put nipple coverings. Women do not have nipples in Miss America pageant. I was like, oh, OK. <laughs> Everybody has nipples. I mean, I had very small boobs. And so I bought the thing. I went with my mom and got the little coverings. And it was the rehearsal before the actual show. And she came storming back red in the face, pissed at me and was like, I told you to you have to cover those nipples up. Oh, my God. Now, apparently my nipples were so strong. I was just like a tiny cup with a huge nip. But it was apparently <laughs> coming through the, <laughs> the swimsuit. Maybe she should have been yelling at the lighting guy. That's a good, thank you. Like if you actually went out and bought the special inserts I to did. Like make sure that the fabric wouldn't be seen through and then they were still yeah. 
like visible. I don't mm. think that's on you. I think that's the way the stage was being lit. Thank you. Oh, I didn't even think about that. And so I'm wearing a full piece, which I never wear a full piece because I have a really long torso. Lots of information about my body today. <laughs> uh, so of course, my butt's like chomping up the back of the swimsuit. Forget about that them worrying about. They're worried about my tiny little A cups with the nips. Anywho, so I got so infuriated. Otherwise, I had had fun with these girls. It was kind of similar. I came in, not 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 similar to, you know, Sandra Bullock's character coming in, but kind of like I came in thinking, you know, I was, I'm just kind of doing this to for a joke almost, you know, but it, but you get scholarship money. I mean, it's not a joke. Yeah, you really not? I got like some money for school. So anyways, at the end of it, I really did love the people. I love the girls, not people that I would necessarily go make friends with out you know, in the world. So it was a nice thing for me, but I was infuriated in this moment. Mm -hmm. She goes back, fine. Next, I think it was in the evening was our actual show. I threw those pads away and went out just nipping like the queen of England. I don't know. Amazing. And I freed the nipple. I did. And she didn't (laughs) say anything to me. And then later on, because there's also an interview portion where you have to like talk about some platform and that doesn't happen on stage necessarily you do have the the answer the interview question on stage but you have a whole thing that happens another day where you meet with the judges and you're being sort of graded judged on how you speak how well you you know talk about your platform and I remember her telling me this woman she's like I'm surprised you did a lot better than I ever thought you would like she, this woman just didn't think I was great I was like well you're a piece of Crap. Anyways. What an a-hole. So she just was like, who's mm -hmm. this outsider who who doesn't normally do pageants, who thinks she can just come in here and be in this pageant? What a jerk. That's what it was, Avrin. So in the end, I think I made it like quick, closer up. I wasn't, I didn't, obviously, I didn't get the miss whatever, but Mm -hmm. I wasn't last and I wasn't, I I was one of the runners up. But in the end... Mm-hmm. Did you get Miss Congeniality? I did. I have a plaque. It's. I'm very proud of it. I was Miss Congeniality in 1997, everybody. Amazing. Woo, 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 woo. We got a real life Miss Congeniality on the show today. Yeah. I can't believe I didn't know this about you. I don't know. I think I told Mike. I'm not sure if I told you. So yeah, that that's a real story about me. And, uh, you know, I wish I would have been an undercover FBI agent like our wonderful Sandra Bullock. And I wish I would have had sexy moments with another FBI agent, but I did not. I was living in a small town and uh, just doing my best. <laughs> Dealing with uh, really rude middle-aged ladies. I know. That have clearly some issues with their nipples. I know. It was so weird, Avrin. I, I don't know. I would don't know if I would let, or whatever, if my daughter was really interested, sure. I'm not sure. I don't know. Cross that bridge. But it could, it was a good thing for me, actually. It was not something that I thought that I would enjoy. Mm-hmm. But maybe because I hadn't been doing it for years and didn't take it so seriously, I right. thought I got some benefits out of it. And I got a couple grand for school. So, you know. That's awesome. Yeah, so that's my story. I'm ta- That's Miss Congeniality in a nutshell, and that's Vanya's Miss Congeniality in a nipple shell. <laughs> in the nipple shell, she is Miss our very own Miss Congeniality. Mm-hmm. Well, I also love that movie. That was one of those ones that I remember when it first came out. I definitely was like, this is so fun. Yeah. And you're right. Problematic. But 22 years ago, I was very young. So I didn't understand things that were problematic as like I do now. I think you could still enjoy it. Like if you watched it again, I think you could still enjoy it with a couple moments of like cringe. Yeah. Right. Well, thank you so much for that. So yeah. normally normally I would tell you, like, I thought about looking for this or thought about looking for that. But technically, I came to you 
with the story That's and right. you the movie and you picked it. I think I think you picked the right movie to pair with this. I guess we're going to call this one as I've been kind of lately. The unsolved mystery has been like the joke. This one, I'm going to say the un uh-huh. in unsolved mystery is in quotes because I think we we know who did this and uh, we need to figure out how to punish that person oh. for it. But technically, it's an unsolved crime that I'm going to tell you about okay. today. So today I'm going to tell you about the murder of beauty queen Nona Dirksmeyer. And I also just really like the name Nona. Yeah, I do too. I just, I feel like I've never heard that name before. You know, you hear Nina or Nana, I always think of, you know, for like grandma. grandma. But Nona is just, I think it's so cute. And yeah. um, so Nona Dirksmeyer was born on December 26th um, in Zachary East Baton Rouge Parish um, to Paul and Carol Dirksmeyer. She had four brothers and one sister and she is described as being sweet and shy and smart and funny and lovely. And she had a beautiful, like, soprano singing voice. But she was very down to earth and, you know, goal oriented. And uh, people said it was, like, impossible for her to be rude. And I feel like this that'll come up later because I think that a lot of women find it impossible to be rude. Yeah. Because we're taught not to be rude. Right. And sometimes you need to be rude. You need to be rude. Um. To, to get yourself out of scary situations and, and stuff like that. But while she was this wonderful, sweet, kind, you know, girl, she was also a little bit troubled because she did not have an easy childhood. Even though she had a wonderful, loving mom and she had all those siblings, she confessed to her mother after her, her dad, Paul, died when she was 10 years old that he had been sexually abusing her. Oh, why? And... I know. And here's a quote from her mother. It was horrible. It's such the end of my world. I just couldn't believe something like that would happen. But I knew enough to know that she was telling me the truth. So I can't even imagine the pain. So like she just her husband dies and then it's revealed that he was a monster. Um, And of course, the trouble that that brings to the, you know, the trauma of that is going to have, you know, it's going to reverberate throughout Nona's life because it just how can it not But Nona had a soulmate and a best friend who she was able to share the trouble that she had, you know, and the sadness that came with with dealing with her abuse with. And that would be Kevin Jones. Nona actually meets Kevin in kindergarten and they grow up together. But in high school, they start dating. And he is actually one of the only friends that she ever confided in about the abuse that she suffered at the hands of her dad. Because even though... She will later um, be very vocal about wanting to educate people and children about, you know, how to handle, what to do, what to look for, um, all of that. Uh, She didn't talk about it a lot, but she did tell Kevin. And by high school, they're dating and they are inseparable. So she also, being shy but very talented musically and with a clear uh, platform, she does start the kind of pageant circuit right uh-huh. and um that is where her platform like you were mentioning getting interviewed like what is your issue and her whole thing was that she wanted to you know give awareness yeah raise awareness and educate people about child abuse and especially like child sexual abuse so she graduates uh high school in 2004 and she starts attending the arkansas tech university with kevin they go to the same school 
They're super cute and in love. Um, their families like fully expect them to get married. Like she, she's part of his family. He's part of her family. Mm. Um, but by the summer of 2005, after their first year of college, Kevin decides to transfer um, about an hour and a half away to the University of Arkansas. Hmm. So at this point, she is living on her own. She's 19 years old. She's got an apartment, like an off-campus apartment. Um, Another thing that she was doing at this time is she's a member of the Big Brothers and Big Sister. Awesome. And she uh, was crowned. She actually won Miss Pettit Jean Valley 2005, which made her eligible to go on and compete in Miss Arkansas, which had she won that, she would have gone to the Miss America pageant. So she was like legit in the pageant circuit. That was the same like pageant franchise I was in not not that not in Arkansas but another state yeah right and so it was like the page you win this pageant and you're automatically entered into the Miss Arkansas pageant and by all accounts you know things were things were going really well she was in school studying um, music with a goal of becoming a music teacher and she sang in like the concert choir and you know she was just very Things were going good. She's in college. Things are going well. So now it's, you know, finals leading up to Christmas break in 2005. Now, Nona and Kevin are doing, you know, the long distance thing. He would visit her on weekends. And then the rest of the time, you know, they talk, you know, relationships. up. They talk on the phone. They text. Um, Apparently a thing that would happen because they had a pretty like routine schedule of reaching out and talking and doing all that stuff if he wouldn't respond to a text that he normally would she would send him like sarcastic messages like are you alive question mark um (laughs) which i can relate to because i feel like if my husband if i send more than two texts without a response it it doesn't have to be immediate but if i've texted you twice and like an hour's gone by and i've gotten no response mine my are you alive is hello yeah with like five hundred thousand o's and mine Um, is i worry that you're actually dead because i have anxiety but what i do instead of asking if you're alive i just say hi hi Hi, like a hundred times. So he has yeah, like a hundred texts. He he knows he knows it's funny, guys. I'm not weird. It's fine. It's yeah. Funny. Well, anxiety is <laughs> part of it. You know, it's like I'm just worried about you. Normally, you're pretty quick to respond. <laughs> um, but yeah. So she would be like, "Are you alive?" Okay. So it is like I mentioned, finals for her. He's already headed. Kevin has already come home for Christmas. And the first day he gets home, he immediately goes to Nona's apartment. They spend the evening together. And then he um, he goes home later that night because the following day he had promised his mom he would, like, accompany her to her office Christmas party. Which also I'm like, who is this cutie patootie dude? I know. Right? Um, so he got home just after midnight after leaving her place. He called her uh, to tell her that he made it safely. And then the next morning he woke up to a text message from Nona that said, good morning, Cuddle Muffin. I love you, and I hope you have a great day. Okay. That's so, weird. This is now just, no, I think it's cute. Good morning, Cuddle Muffin. I love you, <laughs> and I hope you have a great day. I think it's adorable. They called each other Cuddle, cuddle Muffin. Cuddle Muffin. Cuddle Muffin. Oh, maybe, like she, maybe he liked to cuddle her muffin. <laughs> oh, maybe. So Nona's plans for that evening so she had finals that day and then sure her plan was to hang out with her sister from the big sister organization but unfortunately those plans would never oh happen so she had a final exam that day and had told kevin that she was gonna text him when or call him when she was done but he but she didn't so he sent her several messages called her several times um and at one point he actually sent her 
like she used to do, a text that said, you alive, question mark. And as he's like driving with his mom to go to this dinner or this holiday party at her work, he's just like stressing out about the fact that he hasn't heard from her. You know, they have a pretty routine, uh, like communication you know, routine. Mm-hmm. And so she, he's just got, he's nagging him. And so he decides that he's going to call his friend Kevin because his friend, or sorry, Kevin is going to call his friend Ryan because he's a pizza delivery guy who works in the general neighborhood that Nona lives in. And he's like, can you just go to her apartment and make sure, like knock on the door, make yeah, sure she's okay. Yeah. And so Ryan was like, yeah, why not? Uh, but he, when he arrives, he sees that her car is parked outside her apartment and her upstairs lights are on. But when he knocks, she doesn't answer. And when he's telling Kevin this, so they're on the phone, right? And he's telling yeah. Kevin, hey, it's weird. Like, the lights are on, but she's not answering. So Kevin's like, Mom, sorry, we we need to go to Nona's. So they immediately, like, change course. They head over to Nona's um, apartment. Kevin, who does have keys to her apartment... There were only three people with keys, her parents, her, and Kevin, but he didn't have them on him. So they, so Ryan and Kevin knocked and knocked, and they rang the doorbell, and eventually they go to the back where there's a sliding glass door, um, and they weren't sure that they'd be able to get it in because Nona had had a couple of, like, weird incidences where, like, the men in this, like, uh... off-campus complex made her uncomfortable. So she had one of those things, you know, on a sliding glass door that the stick, like, yeah. like basically, like, the anti-break-in stick, and she... Always, always had it in, but it wasn't in the door that day. Um, and so they are able to get, you know, through the door because as they're peering in, Ryan touches Kevin and says, do you not see her? Oh, no. And then he sees her. Mm-hmm. Nona was laying in the front room of her apartment, completely motionless wearing nothing except for a pair of white socks. So they get into the apartment and Kevin runs immediately towards her. He describes it as he's trying to perform CPR. He physically like straddled her body and was trying to perform CPR when that wasn't working. And it was very clear, you know, that she was, I mean, he didn't know, but it was very clear that he wasn't, wasn't working. He kind of like picked her up and held her to him and was like, wake up. Everything's going to be okay. You're going to be okay. You're going to be okay. Um, and then his mother, who finally, you know, was mm-hmm. came into the apartment, she was, she called 911. And you can hear, I also watched a Dateline. So I got a lot of my information from um, a blog, actually, called Dark Matter, and then a Dateline episode called What Happened to the Beauty Queen, hosted by Keith Morrison. Mm. Um, and you can hear her phone call on the Dateline episode, and you can tell, like, the scene must have just been absolutely hor- horrific, because she, just like the... The, the horror and sadness and like terror in, in Kevin's mom's voice when she's calling 911 is just, it's so, it's, it, you can feel it. So when the ambulance and police arrive, I'm just going to go ahead and say that I think the police did, uh, you know, we've talked about tunnel vision before. Yeah. Um, but police don't really do their due diligence, I feel like, in this investigation. And that's part of why there's such an injustice to this day because of it. So when they arrive, they immediately notice her boyfriend is covered, covered, not like a little covered because, you know, he had held her yeah. to covered in her blood. Um He's crying and he's like, did somebody do this to Nona? And they said yes. And then he asked if they were, if, you know, is she going to make it? And they were like, no, she's she's passed away. Um, 
And basically they're like, we need to, you need to come with us to the police station. We need to talk about like what happened, you know, like how, the, how you found her and how this all came to be. And so as investigators are looking at the scene, it's, they notice that there's no forced entry, right? Mm-hmm. They also notice an empty condom wrapper that was lying on a counter just a few feet away from where Nona's body had been found. But they could not find, the medical examiner couldn't find any physical evidence that would, like, could definitively say she'd been sexually assaulted. Um, her head had been hit, like, smashed with the heavy base of a lamp that was lying nearby, and she had been stabbed 17 times. Oh, God. But it was ultimately the, uh, and strangled, but it was ultimately the blow to the back of her head with the lamp that had killed her. Um, so Kevin is downtown. And they're asking him for, like, his his whereabouts, right? They're, he's the boyfriend, okay? So to yeah. give police credit there, you do always look first at, like, the people in your life. They also looked at this crime scene and thought this was personal. There's no way this is a stranger that did this, you know, because of, like, 17 stab wounds. Yeah. You know, strangulation plus then blunt force trauma to the back of the head. And, you know, he's distraught. And when they say, like, did you do this? He, he says, and you can see it in the interview, he says, I would kill myself before I would hurt her. Um, so they let him go. They do uh, interview other men because it turns out Nona, you know, she's in college. She's 19 years old. She loved Kevin, but, you know, they weren't married yet and he lived far away. I guess she had had other like, you know, dalliances with a couple of guys. So they oh. question all of them and they they rule them out. Um, but here's the deal. <laughs> During the investigation, they only fingerprint and look for DNA uh, directly around her body and on the the wet, the lamp, right, that had yeah. struck her. There was blood on the sliding glass door. There was blood on the Venetian blinds. There were footprints in the kitchen that whoever had done this would have absolutely had to have walked through her kitchen. They did not test that blood. They did not look for uh, fingerprints or take photos of the footprints. They didn't even go upstairs, to check out the other parts of her apartment. So it becomes kind of obvious that, like, they think they know who's done this, right? They think okay. we we know who's done this. Now, after Kevin was interviewed, he left. He went to go see Nona's mother. He was helping her family, like, arrange her funeral. And Carol also wanted him to help pick out the clothing that she would wear for the visitation that would be the day, you know, before the funeral. So... Six days later, on the day of the visitation, Kevin actually called police to tell them that he had heard rumors that someone had seen a man leaving Nora's place the day of the murder. And so while he's telling them this, they're like, would you maybe come downtown again? We have a few more questions. Now, he's concerned because he's like, her visitation is this afternoon and I have to be at her visitation. And they're like, oh, don't even worry about it. You'll totally be there. So he's now being questioned with them, but it's like no longer a question. They're saying, we know you did this. And he's like, no, I didn't do this. I didn't do this. And he said, I'll do anything you guys want me to do. I'll take a DNA test. I'll take my fingerprints. And so finally they're like, well, will you take a polygraph? And he's like, yes, whatever you yeah. want me to do. So about, you know, about like a few minutes after the test is uh, taken, the examiner comes in and says, I, I've never seen anybody fail a polygraph test worse than you failed this polygraph test in what? 28 years of giving lie detector tests. Oh. 
So the examiner said to Kevin, I know, I have no doubt in my mind you're the killer. Uh, you should probably get a lawyer. Now, Kevin doesn't ask for one because he doesn't, he thinks that'll make him look guilty. And he is instead trying to convince them that he is innocent. You know, he's like, I did not do this. Yeah. But here's the deal. The reason why they're not just like, because polygraphs aren't admissible in court, right? Like, that's not good enough. We did learn that. We did. We did learn that. So that's not going to get them a conviction if they arrest him. But it turns out that the there was a bloody palm print on the lamp that killed Nona, and it did belong to Kevin. Oh, no. But they didn't arrest him that night. They held him for seven hours, and then they let him go, leaving everyone wondering why he had never shown up to Nona's visitation. So this feels calculated too, right? He specifically told them, I want to make sure I'm at this visitation. And once you're in a police station, a lot of people don't realize, like, if you're not under arrest, you can leave at any time. They cannot make you stay. Um, But a lot of people don't know that or they feel intimidated and they don't feel like they can just get up and go. So he misses the visitation, which of course now has people wondering why, like, you know, is he, he went to the police station and now he's not here. Has he been arrested? And somewhere the night of the visitation, like late at night, like sometime like after 11.30 p.m., police showed up at Nona's mother Carol's house and she is told that Kevin had killed her daughter. <gasps> he was a sociopath with a narcissistic personality. What? And that there is no way a stranger did this. And so the moment police tell her it was Kevin, Carol knew that he was the one that did it. She's horrified and devastated because she loved him, but she knows it. I mean, the police are saying it. This is who did it. We know it had to be someone close to her. Um, so to the investigators, Nona's crime scene looked staged to them. And the fact that Kevin was covered in so much blood made them suspicious. So they theorized that Kevin intentionally touched everything he could within the crime scene to contaminate it in order to have a valid excuse if they did find his DNA or prints on something where it shouldn't have been there. So they surmise, remember I mentioned there was a condom wrapper sitting on the counter. They surmise that earlier in the day, he had surprised Nona because he had keys to her place, shown up, seen a condom wrapper that wasn't from him, flew into a rage and killed her and then went about his day getting an alibi and then setting it up in a way that he would discover her body with other people and then could like, you know, and again, I understand that it is so often the partner, the loved ones of a person that commits this kind of crime. But I'm also like, okay, do an investigation. You know, like, don't just surmise, oh, there's a condom wrapper, rage. So the next day is known as funeral and Kevin goes. But at this point, everybody is whispering. Like, the rumors are like, everybody's like, Kevin did this. The police told Carol Kevin did this. And so he's not allowed to sit with her family. And um, he's basically being shunned at the love of his life's funeral because police have already insinuated that he's the murderer. And then they hold a press conference that day, which they claim that they've cleared all persons of interest except for one. Police don't mention any names, but the entire town knows that they're talking about Kevin. So on March 31st of 2006, Kevin is finally arrested. Now, his lawyer, his parents were devastated. They were not only devastated that their son was being you know, tried for the murder of his girlfriend, they were devastated at the loss of Nona, who they Mm. thought of as a daughter and who they fully believed was going to be their daughter-in-law one day. Um, So they basically, like, put up their farm as collateral to get him 
like the best possible defense team they, they that money can buy. Um, and they also say that they have to have the trial somewhere else. They can't hold it in in their hometown because everyone there thinks he did it. So they have the trial held in a nearby city um, called Ozark in Arkansas. Um, but even some of those jurors had heard about him. And there was actually an interview after his trial with a, a juror named Kim Will Height, who was asked if she thought that Kevin was guilty. Um, and she said, you bet. And statistically, it's usually someone close to the person. And here they had the boyfriend and they had him with the bloody home print. Wow. So police had the condom wrapper tested for pr- fingerprints, but none were found. But Kevin's defense team were like, oh, no, no, we're going to take that, please. And we're going to see if there's some DNA on the condom wrapper. They do find DNA, but it is unknown male DNA. So it doesn't belong to Kevin, but it doesn't belong to anybody in the database. So that's the defense pointing to the possibility of somebody else doing this. Now, police think that supports their theory that Kevin's motive was jealousy because of the condom wrapper. The defense also charges that the police work was sloppy and that they zeroed it on Kevin without ever considering anyone else. Um, Kevin's lawyers examined Nona's phone um, because police did, I mean, like police didn't take it. They didn't go through her phone, you know, like all of these things. Uh, what else did they say? Okay. So it was said that the only place they fingerprinted, I already mentioned this to you, was around Nona's body. They didn't test the blinds. They didn't even bother going upstairs. Um, during trial, Kevin's grandmother provided an alibi because they alleged that her time of death was sometime between 1030 and noon. And she said that he was with, his grandmother said that Kevin was with her at the time that the murder took place. Um, but again, you know, family members can't necessarily, most family members would try to protect their family, right? Oh. Which is what the what the, the prosecutor is basically saying, no, that's just grandma's just trying to help him out. Hmm. Um, and they don't believe her. They say they think she's lying. Um, the defense also presented photos that police took of Kevin the first night that he was questioned, and he didn't have a single scratch on his body, right? So he yeah. is covered in her blood, which is a jarring photo to see. But when they do the close-ups... You know, there were signs that there were but definite wasn't signs his of a buddy struggle with with him when he walked in. To the yeah. Place? But see, police say police believe that he, he did that on purpose, that he killed her much earlier in the day oh. and wanted to be with other people when she was found to like firmly establish that he didn't find her alone. But then also they believe that he uh. did all of that so that he could contaminate the crime scene by like touching everything before police came. But mm. with witnesses, that's Got what it. police's theory is. OK. Um. But the defense also showed that he didn't have a scratch on him. Prosecutors, like their biggest evidence was, so you know when you're being questioned by police, you're being videotaped at all times. Yes. I don't know if if you know that. If you didn't know that, listeners, now you know it. You're being videotaped at all times, so don't act weird. <laughs> um, you know, like I think, was it was it the Jody Arias case we did where like she was doing like yes. handstands or something? Yes. Yeah. Like they see all of that and all of that's admissible at trial. So while police had left him alone that first night after questioning, he had started like punching violently the metal folding chair he was sitting in just like over and over and over that's weird and they say the police show this or sorry the prosecution show this to the jury saying like look how capable of violence this young man is however his defense plays the whole video where he punches it and then he's crying so hard and saying like she didn't deserve this like she she was going to have the most beautiful life like who would do and basically oh they showed the whole video, which in context, you know, if you just show him punching a chair, of course, it's just like, uh, 
you know, no thank you. It paints the bad picture. It paints a picture. But when you show the whole thing, it's a man who has just lost the woman that he loves. And he can't get and, to her viewing he, or whatever. His, her Right. Thing. And he can't. And he also, like, found her, which is really traumatic. Yeah. Um. So the jury goes out. And after the first day, they don't have a verdict. But after the second day, they come in and they find Kevin not guilty. Right. Lack of evidence. Really lousy police work. Um, But her family is devastated because they're like, I can't believe he got away with it. But here's the deal. Kevin didn't get away with anything. He asked his dad to basically like they did a press conference the day he was acquitted. And they, you know, they they're they're going to find her killer. That's what they say. Like, we are not just going to accept that. That I that he my client didn't do this. We are going to find the person that did this to Nona. And even though Kevin's dad had already spent every freaking penny he had to pay for his son's legal team, he asked them for a favor. He said, I don't know how I'm going to pay for it, but I'm going to figure out how to pay for it. I need you to continue to investigate Nona's death and try to find the real person because we also nobody believes our son is innocent, even though he was acquitted. Um, And we want to know who really did this. So the lawyers agreed and they hire, I love this, investigator, preacher and part time Dover, Arkansas policeman, what? Todd Steffi, to continue investigating the case. So <laughs> one of the things that the legal team did was to try to find a match to that DNA sample that was found in the condom wrapper near her body. Um, they went back through the men that Nona had been seeing before her death and collected some DNA by going through garbage cans and stuff like that. Okay. And none of that DNA matched what was taken from the crime scene. Um, but strangely enough, uh, Steffi, the PI preacher slash real policeman, uh, who was still working on her case was asked to interview a man named Gary Dunn, who had been brought in for burglary charges. And the name like rings a bell. He's like, why do I know the name Gary Dunn? Well, that's because Gary Dunn was one of Nona's neighbors who had been ruled out by the police so when he goes in um oh and uh, gary dunn's bedroom window looked directly across to nona's bedroom window like that's how close of a neighbor he was and so when he goes in to talk to him you know on these burglary charges he simply asks him hey can you do me a favor we're trying to get all the fingerprints and dna from everyone questioned in the nona dirksmeyer case can i have yours and dunn said yeah sure um so Nona's parents pay. I know, right? I'm it, like, just yeah, the sure. narcissistic. Yeah, go yeah. for it. Um, and so Nona's parents pay the six hundred dollars to have his DNA tested, and a couple of weeks later, the results came back, and it's a match. So now police have to go back and because he had an alibi. Remember, they alibied everybody out. So they have to go back and check his alibi. So his alibi was on December fifteenth at the time Nona was murdered. He was out Christmas shopping with his mom at Target, and he had provided receipts to prove it. So now Steffi, the investigator, is digging through all of the old evidence and everything, trying to find this receipt. And when he miraculously does manage to find it, Vanya, uh, he's looking over it. And yeah, he did go shopping with his mom at Target on December 13th, as the receipt oh. clearly states. Oh my God. So police either just didn't even really look That at three the looks just like a five. <laughs> Why not? Or... Or they decided to ignore the fact that his alibi was actually uh, not an alibi. Um, So a new prosecutor has decided, okay, I think there's compelling enough evidence here to arrest Dunn and charge him with Nona's murder. 
So Gary Dunn's first trial begins in April of 2010. Uh, His wife testified that he was violent in bed, like sexually violent towards her, and that weeks before Nona's death, she had caught him hanging around Nona's front door in the middle of the night more than once. Ew. Yeah. But Dunn's uh, defense team basically retries Kevin Jones. Like any time, you know, because you're looking for a reasonable doubt here, right? So anytime they try to present reasonable doubt, they say, even though he was acquitted, which I'm not sure how it works that you can bring up somebody who was found not guilty yeah. and use them as the reasonable doubt for your client's own guilt. But apparently you can. Um, they said that, you know, his whole family was lying and covering up for him. And this trial ends in a mistrial. Right. The jury is hung. They can't oh, they no. can't come to a thing. But it's a mistrial, which means that he can be tried again. So immediately the prosecutor files murder charges against him again and his second trial begins in 2011 but this time the judge allows the prosecutors to bring in a new witness to reveal certain horrifying things about gary dunn to help the jury with their decisions so in 2002 a woman named kelly joe fitzharris had gone for a jog she had jogged past a man sitting on a bench when she suddenly heard footsteps behind her. When she looked back, she saw Gary Dunn with a giant stick that he hit her over the head with and knocked her down. He began to beat her, but she managed to escape and ran away. Police came a little later and found Dunn hiding in like this little water like stream, you know, like hiding yeah. from police. Um, so he was arrested and spent 18 months in jail for the assault and clearly attempted sexual assault of Kelly Jo Fitzharris. So this is basically the only new information that is uh, introduced. Otherwise, it's all the same. We've got the DNA, even though the defense says that the DNA is not um, definitive, that it was really, I can't remember the exact terminology for it, but that it wasn't 100% match. It was something like, it, it was like, one in a million, you know, there could be somebody else, but it would be like a one other person in a pool of two million people. Like it was mm. it was like not enough of a sample, I guess, to get 100 percent. But it was enough that it was like it's probably it's most likely no one else could possibly have left the sample except for this guy. But they kind of confused the jury with that, too, saying it wasn't 100 um, percent. And so this trial, they deliberate for two days and again. It ends in a mistrial. They are a hung jury. They cannot agree. That's and so, and so Gary Dunn is let go, and um, the prosecute the prosecution does not bring charges against him again. This is two mistrials. So in December of 2011, Kevin Jones filed a lawsuit against the city's former chief and the officers in the case, accusing them of ignoring evidence that pointed to his innocence. Um, Gary Dunn was also named in the lawsuit saying that Dunn lied to investigators to support an allegedly false alibi that he was away from his apartment. Um, And it also says that Dunn submitted to a polygraph exam, which the suit indicates that Dunn also had lied. And that the person who administered administered the polygraph slanted it in Gary Dunn's favor. So he had also failed a polygraph test, given them a bogus alibi. But they were like, it wasn't him. It wasn't the neighbor with a with like a a criminal. Yeah, with like a violent sexual deviance and violence. Yeah. Uh, Unfortunately, this uh, lawsuit was dismissed because of the statute of limitations had already passed. But 
Kevin, who Carol, known as mother, now no longer believes is responsible for the death of her daughter and their relationship has been patched up. He is today married and actually works in Russellville, Arkansas, the town that basically prosecuted him before his trial. He works as a criminal defense attorney there to help other people basically not have happen what happened to him. You know, so he's a he's a defense attorney in the town, you know, where all of this went down. Okay. Uh yeah. So in twenty seventeen, weirdly enough, Gary Dunn was sentenced to ten years in prison on two uh, two counts of possession of firearms by certain persons. And then he was released in August of twenty eighteen, but less than four months later he was back in custody because he was charged with kidnapping, attempted kidnapping, and indecent exposure in two separate incidences that took place on the same night. So He's in jail. He was found guilty of those crimes and sentenced to 15 years in prison. However, Nona's case remains technically unsolved. Mm. Now, he was, these were mistrials, right? These were not, no acquittal. So like in the case of Kevin, he was acquitted. Double jeopardy is attached. But with Gary Dunn, he could be tried at any time. I don't know what it would take for them to try him again. I think they need to try him again. Because her family deserves to have the person who we all, I think we know who killed Nona. Right. I think it was the sexual predator who lived next door who was creeping around her house in the weeks leading up to her murder in the middle of the night. Um, And he should be punished for that. Absolutely. And and spend the rest of his life in prison for it. But the case does remain open. So hopefully, I don't know, I want to be able to like update this episode. Yeah. In the next couple of months and be like, all right, they're starting a new trial. Um, And I obviously, if I hear, I will keep tabs on this and I will update you if there are any updates. It's so upsetting. But that is just the, I oh. know. And it's so, it's so frustrating too, because I feel like we always, you know, we try to find the tie in. Like, obviously there's the pageantry. Yes. The fact that she was like a beauty, a beauty queen mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. inside and out, not just in the pageant world. She seemed like she was a pretty wonderful girl yeah. with thoughts of doing nothing but good in the world, you know, and what a bright future she had. But I also think it it kind of tunnel vision, you know, like the idea of thinking, you know, something so certainly that you stop and looking around, you stop looking at all of the possibilities. Right. And so I feel like when you're talking about miscongeniality, that happens, you know, that that happens and that literally happens in the movie. And then here, if I mean, if the police had just taken fingerprints and samples of the blood found on the blinds and the door and the footprints and like, I don't know, maybe gone upstairs and like seen if anybody had weird that wasn't Kevin or her had like flushed the toilet or turned on a sink, (laughs) you know, it's just like what the actual F Um, it was the, the homicide detectives. I didn't mention this, but it was the, his very first, like lead detective on a case so obviously inexperience plays a part but also just like tunnel vision well i was just thinking they need like a checklist like they need a okay now i check this now i I mean there's got to be some sort of uh you know order of operations when it comes to that kind of thing i know it's just to me it's just insane to think that you could walk into a crime scene i understand immediately believing sure that they need to be looked at it is usually that person and he was found like covered in her blood At the scene of the crime, even though, you know, he was with other people and they all found her together. But you still have to check the evidence. Like, you have to test it. You have to collect it. You have to prove your theory correct, not make the evidence that you are willing to test prove your theory correct. Right. 
It's like you should almost be trying to disprove your own theory, police. This is mm-hmm. what I'm saying. Mm-hmm. Like, try to prove yourself wrong. And 100%. if you can't, then you got the right person. That's a great... I'm sure they... People who are Should good I at their job do that. I mean, I really do think you'd be a wonderful investigator for sure. I as do. long as I don't have to um, hold a gun. Yeah. I mean, you'd probably learn and you would be comfortable with it. But. Yeah. You, then I can be Gracie Hart. Exactly. I love that. Wow. Okay. So here we go. Let's wrap this up. What did we learn? What did we learn about miscongeniality and or my experience as a person who got miscongeniality? I'll tell you what I learned about that. The story tells me and also my experience tells me is you can't judge a book by its cover, even if it's a really pretty book that seems like it's vapid and dumb. It is not necessarily. Yeah, (laughs) That's what I learned there. I think you're right. And I also think we'll just lean into like you can't judge a book by its cover, which is what we just talked about, which is like you can't just think that your first impression of someone is is it sticks right and and first impressions are hard to let go of right i mean the whole town believed in his guilt even after he was acquitted until finally they found an alternative suspect who even though has never been convicted finally allowed people to let go of this this sense of knowing that kevin did it you know and it's like you gotta learn to like I don't know. Be flexible with first impressions. Yeah. Well, and also, if it's your job to investigate, so do it. And like, you know, as a as a police Absolutely. officer, I mean, yes, you know in, I mean? the, like, in the police officers yeah. for sure, and the people of the town where it happened oh, in Russellville. Yeah, you yeah. know, like I understand wanting justice for one of your own, and and thinking that because police told you who yeah, did it, like, right? Why would you not believe them? Hundred percent. Um, but yeah, justice for for Nona is still um absent and so that needs to be remedied and i really hope that it will be someday me too guys thank you so much for listening if you haven't already go ahead and go to like apple Podcasts and write us a review give us you know a hundred thousand million stars uh Mm -hmm. please tell a friend yeah five (laughs) is fine but also please tell a friend and and get our stories out there we really love making this podcast so when you do write a review it does help other people discover us so we love you yes thank you so much guys we will see you next Tuesday (laughs) bye